Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 3. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Acts chapter 3 says, the 19th verse, says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. I don't want to be the only one in the Christian community that doesn't see this right. But I got to tell you that what I've heard this taught as is the repent was to turn around. The conversion was to be like him. But nobody ever taught me that when we're converted, we take what heaven's reality is and bring it back to earth and live our life that way. And so I want you to hear me say that today, that the repent and converted and be converted is, is two separate things. You turn around from your sin to God who's in heaven, and you're converted by what you see in the actions and operations of heaven. So when you, when you repent, you have the ability, because, so let's take it back to the, to the first time that you essentially repented and accepted Jesus. You got to see the reality of heaven right then and there. What God wants to do through your conversion is to give that to you and have you as a conduit from heaven, bring that down and live through it on this earth. That's why the Lord's prayer is so powerful in that area. We want His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. His natural conduit or His supernatural conduit is every saved Christian who is designed by God to bring that activity, that understanding from heaven to earth. We live differently than that. So this is the last message in this series entitled Walking in God's Awesome Future Today. And this last message is literally about reigning in life. Now listen to me carefully. When you repent, you have the opportunity to turn from your sin and turn to God. And our ability to see into heaven is open to us. It literally is the Paul prayer of Ephesians chapter 1. The eyes of our understanding are enlightened. They're opened. And so we turn from our sin and we look into heaven. And you say, I didn't know I could look into heaven. Exactly. You weren't looking for it. It's going to be really hard for you to find things that you don't look for. You've got to look for what happens when you repent and turn around and look into the principles and the operations of heaven. And it doesn't make any difference what your sin is. When you turn from it, the eyes of your understanding are enlightened. Your spiritual revelation and wisdom comes to you and you see that thing that comes from heaven... That, that understanding that comes from heaven is meant to convert you. You are no longer the same person you were when you turned around for the first time. We see that in salvation. It's so easy to see in salvation. When you get born again, you're not the same person. But we don't see it throughout our lives when we repent over whatever we might think are the little and piddly things of our life. And we're not converted So we turn around and repent, but we don't take from heaven the conversion principles. And so then we operate, turn back around and live in the world the exact same way that we repented from. Because we weren't converted. You see, that's why people with addictions, they'll look, oh God, forgive me for that. And they turn around, they look and they say, that's not God's thing for me. He's not trying to, for me, I'm not called to live in addiction, but we don't take the conversion principles. We don't take the things of heaven and, 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 and turn back around and live our life through those things. It's one of the, (coughs) it's one of the greatest misgivings of Christianity to this day is not to be changed by the principle of conversion. 
See, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 says that, that we are going to have a renewed mind. Don't be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed. Don't be pressed into the mold that the world offers. Be transformed. Well, you're going to turn around in your repentance, right? You're a gift given to God. You're going to turn around in your repentance. You're going to take those principles of conversion, and you're going to turn around. And what are you going to find according to this verse? Times of refreshing. Acts chapter, not this verse, the Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. When you do that, your sins are blotted out so that times of refreshing. The idea behind being blotted out is literally the removal as if they never existed before. You don't have to deal in your conversion principles. You don't have to deal with who you used to be. That's the part you turned around from. Now you turn around with who God intends you to be, and that's why you know that your sins are blotted out as if they never existed. That's the principle. So when we reign in life, we realize that this time of refreshing are consistently better than times of condemnation. The church lives in way too many, too much condemnation. And the church people are largely to blame for the condemnation. We say you shouldn't act that way. And I say to you that if you're converted, if you repent, turn to God, turn back around with the principles, be converted, turn back around with the principles of God, you will live in this life differently than you've ever lived before. Is that right? Okay, turn with me if you will, please, then to, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Notice the first verse. We'll, we'll pick up bits and pieces of this. The Bible says here, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now stop for just a second. The principle of God, when we turn around, when we repent, we say, oh, I'm guilty. Okay, the condemnation facing us when we sin is condemnation between us and the world. When we turn around, we're turning away from that life, from that sin, and we're turning to God. Now what we need to see is that when we're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. So when we convert, when we turn back and look, sorry, I'm having a little trouble here. I'll, when you see me let go of this pulpit, you'll know I can stand up by myself. It's just been real interesting. So anyway, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You need to recognize that when you turn around, if you still see the condemnation, you didn't actually repent. You're still facing the wrong direction. Now, you had sorrow, you had godly sorrow, but you didn't repent. You didn't turn from your wicked ways. And when you don't take the conversion principles and turn back around with those, you still are available for condemnation. Look what else it says in the first verse. To those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh. If your experience with God doesn't turn you back around different, you'll walk in that same flesh that required you to repent the first time. Because you didn't take the conversion principles. And therefore, condemnation is available to you. But if you're in Christ Jesus and you turn back around with the principles of conversion, literally the understanding that God designed you to live and operate differently because of your viewpoint into heaven, you'll see that God will change you and you will not be the same person that you repented of. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's He wanting us to do? He's wanting us to turn around to view heaven and say, this is how this works. And then we turn back around and live in this life with it. So much of the time we give ourselves what we call grace, 
because we know that God will forgive us. Let me tell you something. What you have is a lack of conversion. Come on. The gate into salvation is narrow. It only goes through Jesus Christ. But the secondary principle that God has for us is something called the inheritance of the kingdom. The inheritance of the kingdom is designed for you, but not automatically given to you by understanding. So for an example, the, Roman, the book of Romans tells us in chapter 14, I think, that, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. So the inheritance that God has for us after our salvation is this understanding, this conversion that says because of what Jesus did, I can turn around and live in this life as a picture of his right standing with the Father. Are we together? That's one of the inheritance principles. That's not your salvation. That's your conversion. And if you'll see that, you'll quit beating people up over their sin and tell them the next time you look in heaven, see how God designed you to live differently without that sin. Be converted. And in a sense, you're happy. We think it's okay, but it doesn't say that happiness is an inheritance principle of the kingdom of God. It says that joy is. Joy is in spite of your circumstances. Right? So when you turn, you repent. So... Again, you have all these interesting happenings in your life and, and, and you get a bad attitude about it. So you turn and repent from that and go, oh, I know God doesn't want me to have this bad attitude. And I, not every, I know that not, sorry, I'm talking too fast. I, I, I know that not everybody is as stupid as I think they are. And so I'm going to turn and repent from that. I'm going to turn from my ways to his ways. And when I look up there, I see this loving, joyous, I'm telling you what, God knows how to do a happy dance. And when you look up there and you see heaven rejoicing, the Bible says that, that the angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. What do you think you're going to see when you repent? Come on, the angels are dancing. They're rejoicing. They're hopping and twirling around. You say, when I look up into heaven, all I see is an angry God. First of all, you don't inherit an angry God. It's joyous. God is joyous and you inherit peace. You inherit peace. Man, we, can, we can get this joy thing down pretty well. No, we know it's not happiness. We can get this joyous thing down. Not yet. You, you can get the joyous thing down, but you can miss the peace. And you'll turn back around before you're fully converted in, in just in that area that you're dealing with until you're, you're not fully converted and you'll turn back around and you'll take with you that lack of peace. You see, you won't take the naturally provided, supernaturally provided inheritance principles of conversion, righteousness, joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. So you turn back around from, from, you repent, you repent from your sin, you turn around, you look into heaven, you see the joy and you see the righteousness in Jesus Christ and you see the peace, but you don't realize that you leave the peace up there because you, you pack your bags up with all your cares of the world and you turn back around and you still live in them. See, that's the full of conversion. Are we together? See, verse number two says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free. When you look up in there, you see that this law supersedes the law of sin and death. You are no longer, after your salvation, destined to die by sin. Are we together? You're not destined to die by your sin. You're destined to live by Jesus Christ. 
What the law does is provide or pronounce a condemnation. Literally a term of guilt and the consequences. Because you're guilty, you must kill a dove, catch the blood, throw some of it this direction, throw some of it that direction, you know, put it on the scapegoat, any of those kinds of things, burn all of it with the fat, not even a little bit left over. You, you just, you, you see this, this, this pronouncement of guilt and this, this term that brings condemnation. That's what the law did, but we're free from that. We're in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's made me free. Verse number two says, from the law of sin and death. For what the law, verse three, could not do, that it was weak through the flesh. The only thing the law could do was to work through your obedience in the flesh. If you went to the right sacrifices, if you brought the right sacrifices, and the church made it really easy by selling the right sacrifices in the portico of Solomon. But nonetheless, you could just go there and buy what you needed and do the obedience and everything was good for you. But that's not reigning in life. See, that's reigning in death. If you don't do these things, you're going to die. And so when we're in, in sin in, in this world, we're looking at it, we're living in sin in this world, we're actually producing or having a wage of death. When we turn back around, we repent of that life, we look up into the conversion principles of Jesus Christ, we say, no, I've been made free. And I turn back around, I live in that freedom. See, so there's no condemnation. So here's your, your, your quote, second quote, please, Jeremy. The function of the law was to pronounce the terms of guilt and its condemnation. To produce, to pronounce the terms of guilt and its condemnation. The gospel does not condemn. Rather, it brings life and pronounces pardon through Jesus. That's why there's no doom. I always think it's interesting that Christians are all kinds of wound up thinking that these people are going to get what they deserve in this earth. Why is it that if God doesn't want to punish them, why is it that you want to? I knew that wasn't going to go over good. Why would you want to punish somebody that Jesus died for? Why would you want to pronounce that their sin is too big for them to get into heaven? Why would you want to single them out for what they do being so terrible, so tragic, that they're past the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? You need to repent of that and get some conversion principles and walk in them. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Let's look at the 17th verse. I'm going to, I'm going to read lots of this little passage here, but I want you just to, to focus in with me for just a moment on Romans 5.17. Notice it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned, notice that it reigned. We reign in death outside of salvation through Jesus Christ. It reigned in death through the one, through Adam. Now listen to me. We have a first Adam and a last Adam. The last Adam is Jesus. The last Adam functionally fulfilled the work of the law. There is no more Adams available because it completely was fulfilled through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why he can say there's no condemnation because Jesus completely filled the righteous requirements of the law. Now notice in verse number 17, it says... Through the one man's offense, death reigned. Through the one, much more those who receive, notice that, where do you receive this abundance of grace? 
When Jesus died for you, you repent of your sins and you turn around and the first thing you see is that Jesus died for you. But he asks you to receive the abundance of grace. He asks you to look up into heaven in your spiritual life and see that God continues to pour out something called the abundance of grace. And of the gift of righteousness, not something that I do, something that Jesus did. What do we do? We turn around in our, conver- in our repentance, we see those conversion principles. One of the greatest conversion principles is the abundance of grace. And the world has had this so wrong, it's scary. Because we think that people don't get grace until they get Jesus. But you can't get Jesus without grace. By grace, you are saved. Before you're saved, grace was made available to you. It's a gift. Amen. And of the gift of righteousness. And he says, your life doesn't measure up. Of course it doesn't. But what he says is, here's the right standing that Jesus produces through being the last Adam, through being the one who fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the Old Testament law. God doesn't deal with us in that way. Notice then it says the gift of righteousness will reign in life. If you're a Bible underliner, underline reigning in life. Notice it doesn't say you'll reign in other people's lives. It says reign in your life. You. Quit looking at your neighbor hoping they get this. You will reign in life through or as an agency of the one Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lives in us, when we turn around, he will cause us to notice the conversion principles that are available to us in him. (coughs) Excuse me. We don't necessarily get all of them right away. But when when we turn around in our repentance, Jesus says, let me show you this. And he shows you a part of who he is for you to convert to or literally turn back around and live in this earth that way. That's called reigning in life. Here's your quote. The Bible is the only book where the author shows up when his book is read. It's the only book. You read it, he shows up. When you convert, you repent and be converted. Read it. He shows up. You turn, he will see him in heaven going, here, I got this for you. And he'll show you those conversion principles, for lack of a better way to have language for this. He'll show you those conversion principles that you're to turn around and live in this life with. That's why he says we reign in this life through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself shows up because his book was read. Are you tracking with me? Aren't you glad that no other author that you read shows up when you read? Because some of you read in some embarrassing places. What if the author showed up when you were reading your book in the bathtub? You better hope you're having a bubble bath. (laughs) Some of you read while taking care of your personal needs. Why would you want somebody else to show up? See, Jesus is the only one that can accept us in who we are by him. See, he shows up because of who he is in us. He doesn't show up just to beat you up. He shows up to show you his stuff. Amen. Now notice in verse number 12 of Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, Adam brought sin and its consequences into the world. 
and death came through sin. Now notice, it says, and thus death spread to all men. Listen, <laughs> Jesus Christ removed the guilt that man got from breaking God's rules. See, he says, because all have sinned. Now notice in verse number 13, most of you <coughs> have what we might call a parenthetical comment. Verse 13 to verse 17 is in parentheses in many Bibles, meaning that this is going to expand the understanding of verse number 12. Technically, you could read verse number 12, which ends this way. All, death is spread to all men because all sinned. And then skip to verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. You could leave all of that out. But the part in the middle from verses 13 to 17 explains the whole thing. Notice that it says, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Men sinned before that because of who Adam was. Right? But it wasn't imputed. There wasn't a price tag until the law came. Then the law came, and it reigned from Adam to Moses, 14 says, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. It wasn't disobedient to God, who's a type him. But the free gift, verse 15, is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. He's explaining to us how God took care of the conversion principles. Once you repent of not being on his team, so to speak, you turn around and he says, listen, the free gift, the grace that came through him is, of, is offered to everybody. That's the conversion principles. And again, I don't have great language for this. And normally I try and stay away from teaching things where I don't have good language for. But we're just going to call them the conversion principles. And you learn them not all at once but rather, as you repent and convert throughout your life, Jesus himself will show you certain tendencies to help you reign in this life through him. Now, what's it mean to reign? It means to be superior in strength. It means to be superior in influence and authority in beauty and excellence. What's he saying? He said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way to live life called reigning it's the God kind of life. And he says through or literally the channel of action for you is the life of Jesus Christ. The channel of action is the life of Jesus Christ. Okay, so now I'm going to show you, I hope, I'm, I'm working backwards. I'm going to show you how this works. How when you do these principles, this is what you face. Notice in chapter 5, verse number 1. Notice we've gone backwards. Because he announced chapter 8, there's no condemnation. And the reason he was able, to, the therefore, was all the stuff that was written before that. So therefore, there is now no condemnation as a result of all leading up to this. Well, this is where it starts in chapter 5. Therefore, so what's this therefore about? Everything that led up to this. And if you want to read the book of Romans effectively, find the first therefore. And read to the next therefore. Because the second therefore is because of the first therefore. It builds a story. If you want to understand how God thinks, if you want to see the conversion principles, read from therefore to therefore. Because he says this stuff exists in the world. Well, these are the things we need to repent of, right? And when we repent, there's a therefore. That's the conversion principle. 
Okay, so here it is. Therefore, verse number one of chapter five, having been justified by faith, how are we justified? By faith. Where does faith come from? From his word. Hearing his word. Faith comes by, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Present tense imperative, meaning that what you hear in the live access of living, this is not having heard. You do not get faith from having heard. If having heard, all you need, listen, if, if you think that's it, just put the Bible on 24-7. And magically, you'll have faith. But that isn't what this says. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches faith comes from hearing. It's a present tense imperative, meaning that as you hear living in this life by the word of God, you will have faith for what you're going through in life. <laughs> Blessings. Sneeze that devil right out of you there and just blessings upon you. Are, are, we, are we tracking with the faith thing? Because I know that many people think they're building faith by listening to the word of God. And they might be, but faith comes by hearing. And it's a present tense imperative, meaning hearing at that moment by the word of God. Most of you are speaking to yourself more than the word of God is speaking to you. Amen. He says you're justified. You're declared innocent. You're declared righteous by Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when he gets to chapter 14 and says that the, the inheritance of the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost, he spent 15 or 16 chapters figuring out how to get that across to you. That's the therefore at the end of the book. Notice he says in verse number 2, through whom also we have access by faith. Not old faith, but present imperative faith. When you're in the circumstance that you're in, the word of God is speaking to you and you have present access by that faith that comes from hearing the word of God. Right in the moment. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, take no thought for what you'll say, for in that very moment I'll give you what to say. That's present tense imperative faith. God wants to give that to you through his word. He says... Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in that grace because of the first gift that Jesus gives us, which is his grace that says, I'm not going to judge you according to sin. I'm going to die for you and take the punishment of sin. Therefore, you can live through me. Notice it says then, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, look at verse number three. Do you see it? And not only that... What did he just do? He used a literary thing to break your concentration. He says, in super addition to this, it literally means that he will interrupt your thought process and interpretation to add something to you. Here's your quote. It says, the idea here is that God is changing your thought or even interpreting or interrupting your interpretation to add some on earth as it is in heaven. See, when he says not only that, he's getting ready to add something to what he hopes you already have in your, in your knowing, in your thinking. He said, and not only that, what? Not only that we're justified by faith. Praise God that we're justified by faith. Not only that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we have access by faith. Not only do we have grace that we stand in, but much more than that. And superabundance added to that, he's going to add these four principles. Here's where the church misses it. 
we want the first part of this without recognizing what's happening in the second part. If you want to live in the principles of conversion, you will have to get this understanding so that when you turn around in the midst of your difficulty, you see life correctly. Notice he says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. We boast, we rejoice, we have a level of joy in the middle of these afflictions, these distresses, this persecution, this pressure from evil, just as a woman is in labor. I'm always amazed that that mamas have more than one baby. No thank you, matter of fact. If men were having babies, we would not replace the population. We'd have one and go, I ain't going through that again. And I always think it's great when male doctors will say to a man who has a kidney stone, they'll say something like, well, that's kind of like having a baby. Yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because the, the expectation of that calcified rock that comes through your waste system is nothing like that baby that they put in your arms. See, this tribulation has to have attached to it the expected end of glory. Are you tracking with me? The expected end. Listen, the reason mamas have more than one baby is because they loved it the first time. The baby, not the other stuff. They loved the baby. Right? So why don't we glory in tribulation? Because we don't love the expected end result. We curse it. We spend time talking to ourselves in unhappiness because of what we're going through. Here's your quote. Tribulation's unhappiness comes from listening to yourself rather than the word of God. Oh, I'm going through such terrible things. First of all, stop talking to yourself that way and repent. When you repent, you're going to turn around. And in that conversion thing that you got going up here, God's going to say, let me show you the glory that comes through this. This is how Jesus was able to say, and it was recorded in the book of Hebrews, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw the baby at the end of the product. He saw you at the end of that process. See, how do you reign in this life? If you cannot glory in tribulations, if your conversion principles do not get you to go, hey, we're going through this, but guess what? We're going through. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. We're going through. First time we had a GPS system. Tracy and I drove to St. Louis, Missouri. And it took us on a road to a hotel that we were going to, the Radisson or something like that, in downtown St. Louis. Because we wanted to be able to walk everywhere. And it took us through a burnt out ghetto. One of the fanciest hotels in St. Louis, if you take the way that the GPS took us, you drive through areas where you hope you don't have to stop. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. I'm going through. And all of a sudden, we drove out of that area that was urban blight. It was being reconstructed, and there were fences and boards and everything. Eventually, it turned into a really nice area. And we drove out, and all of a sudden, here's this 23 or 24-story building that's just beautiful. I thought, praise God. We have the reward of our tribulation. See, we weren't staying in the ghetto. We were staying in a nice hotel. When you are able to glory in that, literally have the weighty presence of God, the present day presence of God in the midst of your tribulation. When you can boast and have joy in that, it's because you've magnified the end result. 
not the present activity. He says, we glory in tribulations knowing. This is where you got to work. you got to know that these things bring these things. Tribulation, more specifically, glorying in tribulation, brings to you perseverance and enduring a bearing up under circumstances, a patience with expected end. Now, I kind of halfway expect my GPS to take me in a direction that is the shortest possible way to where I want to be. How many of you think your GPS should take you the shortest possible way to where you want you to be? And how many of you get nervous like I do when it takes you the shortest possible way to where you want to be? I got tired of that one time. I was on like 72nd or 82nd or something up in kind of northwest Denver. And I thought I need to get to, to, to so I don't remember, I think it was Wadsworth and, and, and 80th is where I needed to be. And I was on like 72nd. I thought, well, I can just take 72nd across there. And I just kept it going and kept it going, kept it going. And pretty soon, guess what? There's a lake in the way. And my car couldn't swim. So if I'd have stayed with the GPS, I'd have had the shortest possible way without the lake. But when I depended on myself, I found the lake. That's how it works when we don't have a glory in tribulations that produces perseverance. Stay with the plan. I thought I knew better than the GPS. I cuss my GPS all the time. I say, stupid machine. I actually have a name for it, but in case I hit some of your names, I don't want to say what it is. But, but uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always cussing it. I'm just looking at it going, you know, for a machine, you're stupid. That's not right. And I'm trying to learn how to trust it. My new car is old enough that it doesn't know some of the roads that I drive on exist. That's exciting. You know, there's, there's literally a hole on the map on the screen that says you're driving in a field. There's no road there. I'm thinking, well, there is a road here, and uh, I guess I'll just keep going. Because when you follow the instructions, you get the end result. You get to go where you were intending to go. So you see, perseverance, here's your quote, Perseverance doesn't stop in the middle of what's happening to explain why it shouldn't be happening. That's what we do. We say, well, I don't deserve this. You cannot reign in this life when you have to stop in the middle of your circumstances to explain why your circumstances shouldn't be happening. It's on the way. If you go through hell, don't stop. I've been through hell a couple of times. Sometimes I even created it. Don't laugh, you do too. You create your own hell on earth because you think you know better than God. Perseverance doesn't stop in the middle of a happening to explain why it shouldn't be happening. Now, if you want to reign in this life, these are conversion principles. So when you repent, okay, you have a bad attitude towards what you're going through. You recognize, you know, you're lightning quick just like I am. You recognize you shouldn't have that attitude. So you repent of it. It turns you around, pokes you up into heaven where you promptly tell God that you don't deserve what you're going through on this earth. That's not a conversion principle. Conversion principle glories in the tribulation to produce the perseverance. You say, yes, I need perseverance. Lord, thank you. Listen, if you'll thank him for the perseverance, the tribulation might end quicker. 
But when you're fighting against him, he may need to take you around that mountain again. I tell people all the time, I've never been lost. But I've driven in smaller and smaller circles till I ran into what I was looking for. My family hates that. They said, oh, st stop and ask somebody directions. Nope, not going to. I'm sure I know where it is. I just keep driving, turning, making the square smaller. And when I pull into the parking lot, I said, see, I told you I knew where it was. That's what we do in life. We do that in God. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. Listen, the church is having a shortage of character. Character is the mark that's left by the proving that God does in your personal life. Character is the mark that's left by the proving that God does in your life. How many of you have a scar that could have been prevented had you not done whatever it was you did? Okay, I've got some surgery scars. Somebody thought it was a good idea. And so I did those things. What happened? I was, I, was, I was short of some character. And so when you glory in tribulation, it produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, the ability to stay under what God is doing in your life to produce the results that God wants to produce. Amen. And character produces, say it with me, hope. Oh, does that sound like the substance of hope that now faith is moments come from? See, why don't we have the right kind of understanding when we see these things in order produce what we look for to produce a now faith is moment? Faith is a substance of those things hoped for. The things hoped for in our future that God, through his infinite ability, turn into a now moment. Amen? It's a proof. It's genuine. It's trustworthiness. So what happens is we glory in tribulation. God produces in us. Here's your, here's your principle. God produces in us perseverance. When that perseverance comes along, it produces in us or leaves the mark of character. And when character's mark is there, it produces hope, hope in the future. And hope is the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews tells us. But notice what this hope does. Now, hope does not disappoint. This is the verse that's on the coffee cup. But the four verses leading up to it are the reason that this verse exists. Hope does not disappoint. Now notice, here's your quote about, about character. The devil can't change your identity by the trials you go through. He only attempts to change the confidence in your identity in Christ. The devil can't change your identity by what you go through. Are you tracking with me? He can only change or affect your confidence in that identity that you're walking in, the identity of Jesus Christ. See, sometimes the devil will do what he did in all those temptations. Do, do you remember the temptation of Jesus? The devil came up to me, up to him, and, and announced to him, if... You are the Son of God. The first temptation that Jesus faced was the temptation about what God had just said about him when he was baptized. Remember, right before that, he was baptized. 
And, and, the, and the voice spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the devil came along and tempted him for 40 days. And the devil came up and said, if you're the son of God, what did God say? This is my beloved son. See, he tried to get Jesus to prove something out of insecurity. How many of you have ever been insecure about what God has called you to do? I've been there a lot. And so then I have to prove it. How do I have to prove it? What did God say? That's the conversion principle. But what do I do? Nope. I get all puffed up and I say, how dare you question me? I'm called of God. Pride comes in. Shame is attached with it. And all of a sudden we have all kinds of problems in the church. Because our leader didn't know to repeat what God said he was. So how do you do it? What did God say you were? When you repented and you turned around and you looked up into heaven and you converted, he converted you into a better image of Jesus Christ than you were when you needed to repent. And he asked you to turn around and live in this earth through those principles. Are we okay? Does that make sense? All right, here's your last quote. The devil attacks your hope because your hope in the future is what creates a now faith this moment today. The reason we can live in the awesome future of God today is because of this passage bringing to us the conversion principles. This is the whole big circle. After eight weeks, we get down. I should have just taught this message the first week. But we get right down to it where we say, wait a minute, I need a now faith this moment right now today. And God says, let me show you how to have those. All of a sudden, you'll repent of those things. And each one of those principles, each one of those principles of coming to know God's conversion in your life, turn you back around and you find hope that does not disappoint. And then when you get in that situation, you realize that that hope is the substance of your now faith this moment, the thing you need for today. See, that's why when you, rea- when you realize that God, through Jesus Christ, pronounced healing to all of us, and we keep repenting, oh, God, forgive me for not trusting you. And he says, let me show you this. And he, and he gives you a conversion principle, and you turn around. And pretty soon you've done that a few times, and you find that now God has developed a hope in you, which is literally this thing in your future that will never disappoint you. And then when you need it, you say, oh, God, please, just like in your word, heal your servant, just like in his word, you have a now faith this moment. And it is a substance, an evidence. And the things that God says in his word come to pass. We've literally brought them from heaven to earth. That's how you live in God's awesome future. Amen? Come on, music team. Stand with me, church, would you please? I hope you got that. I hope it makes sense to you. We'll probably do something different next week. Start something new. What an awesome, awesome thing it is to recognize that God has these principles, these things that make up how he wants us to live from heaven to earth. He shows us how to live that way. It's such a powerful thing. And yet we just kind of ignore it. We gloss over it. So again, when you repent, you turn from your sin. When you convert, you turn from heaven and live that through those things on this earth. Does that make sense to everybody? Are, are, are we still talking the same language? Because if you, if you get that, you'll spend a lot of time focusing on the conversion that God has for you. 
You look into heaven, you find out the kind of person that God intended you to be in this circumstance. And you turn around and live your life on this earth, reigning in life through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.